Okay. Too much horror business Driving late at night Psycho 78 12 o'clock Don't be late I said all this horror business Greetings and salutations My name is Justin Lore And I'm Liam O'Donnell And you are listening to episode 102 of Horror Business Horror Business Today we're going to be talking about two movies that involve technology gone wrong. And I want to say at the top that even though I found both of these movies utterly ridiculous, <laughs> yeah, um, I think they weirdly both hit upon some very important um, questions of like ethics, personhood, uh, morality, and etc. and so forth. I could see that. That could be true. We'll, we'll see. I think, yeah, I we'll think get that's there. fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. God, de- a demon seed was... That was a fucking slog to get through. <laughs> I liked it, but I could see that it would be annoying for a lot of people. Because not... I mean, we'll get to it, y'all, but just spoilers here. It's not a very exciting film, Demon Seed. There's not a lot. It's I was not expecting it to be so British. It's very British. It is. It's very um British. <laughs> but before we go any further into the uh, evil of Demon Seed, because it is an evil movie, um, we should tell you who this episode is brought to you by. And first off, it's brought to you by you, our lovely patrons over at Patreon. If you are wondering how you can become a patron of the Cinepunks Podcast Network, you can head to patreon.com backslash Cinepunks and you can select your chosen mode of patronage or input or donation. And you can contribute whatever it is you want to assisting us in taking over the world. Not destroying it. We just want to take it over. We want to be clear. We're taking it over, but not for destroying purposes. No, we are not. Um, hmm. We believe that we know what's right for everyone else. Sure. But like, you know, not in a jerky Lex Luthor way. We're more like, I don't know, Poison Ivy. I bet she's, you know, she, she's. That's what I was looking for. She's ideological, but, you know, she's not so bad. Yeah, we're less Ultron and more... Magneto? Hank Pym? Oh, no. okay. No, because we don't we don't hit our significant others and then get away with it. Um, yeah. Oh, I forgot that about Mr. Pym. Yes, not a good guy. Yeah, we're definitely um, less genocidal murder bot and more um, snooty intellectual. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's fair. So if you want to assist a snooty intellectual uh, entity into taking over the world and turning the rest of you into snooty intellectuals, head to www.patreon.com backslash cinepunks. I do like that we're styling ourselves as snooty intellectuals. We talk a lot about poo-poo, pee-pee, and farts, uh, but, but you know, uh, we, do a, we do know how to pronounce Foucault correctly, so I guess, I guess that makes us intellectuals. <laughs> I mean, also... Uh, 
uh, I like to think of myself as sort of like a meat and potatoes, blue collar, jeans and t-shirt type. But then I'll sit there and be like, well, the actual source of horror in The Terminator isn't the fact that Schwarzenegger's trying to kill Sarah Connor. It's more that he's negating her humanity and reducing her to a means to an as it opposed to an end itself, which directly conflicts with Kant's prime directive. Anyway... I've I've got a touch of snoot to me. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and pretend that I don't. I mean, whatever. Yeah, but we also enjoy pee and poop and wiener jokes. Edward Furlong's hair sucks in the sequel. In what sequel? In Terminator Two, his hair sucks. Yeah, everything sucks about him in that movie. Yeah, that's why I I can't buy in this whole. I think you're part of this wave of T two is better than T one. I am not. People. I am okay. not. I am not. I'm not. I love Terminator Two. But I have long said that that movie is a plethora of amazing performances around one fucking garbage performance, and that's yeah. Yeah. Edward Furlong. He's like, I, I, I'm not even basing this on just in his performance, which is bad, but like just the sight of him. Like, there's some part of you now, modern day, not at the time. We weren't aware of this at the time. I saw Terminator 2 birthday weekend. I took my friends out. That was my birthday party was seeing Terminator 2. I didn't realize that just the sight of Edward Furlong was enough to incite murder. Like watching the movie, you're thinking, eh, come on, even if he's not going to be a future uh, hero of the human race, don't you just want to kill him? Like, just look at that hair. Come on. Come on. You know, you want to kill him just a little bit. Yeah. The, the only scenes where or he that he has that don't fucking inflame my anger are the very end when he's like trying to get the T-800 not to kill itself. Spoiler alert. Um, and the scene in the beginning when he's trying to explain to the T-800 why it can't kill, why it just can't go around killing people. Every other line out of his mouth in that movie, I'm just like, shut the fuck up. But it's still an amazing movie. Speaking of people who, when they talk, you think, why won't they shut the fuck up? This we- episode is brought to you by Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. I thought you'd get there. I thought if I set it up, you'd get there. <laughs> Speaking of people who make me want to lower myself into a vat of fucking molten steel for no real good reason, even if the chip that's in my head isn't going to lead to the creation of a murder bot, Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations does not make me want to kill myself. I know. You got to walk it back here a little bit here. Walking it back. Walking it back. Chris Reject reject is annoying, but that doesn't change the fact that you need to have something screen printed at LVAC. It's basically the greatest screen printer at minimum on the East Coast, possibly in the world. I would go as far as saying in the country. Um, If you need a T-shirt that says every line in Independence Day is quotable, and then on the back... There is a list of lines from Independence Day that are quotable, including but not limited to, I fly a plane. Oh, crap. I've been saying it. Chris rejects your man. Even if you want a shirt that says Independence Day is technically a Christmas movie and it has a big Christmas tree on it blowing up, Chris reject is where you want to go. Wait, what? <laughs> this is my, I saw someone tweet this and then I thought about it and I liked it. That's, that's my new, the new hill I'm going to pretend to die on is that Independence Day is a Christmas movie. I like that. <laughs> because it, it's very similar to Steven Spielberg directed Poltergeist. <laughs> <laughs> 
So if you want to get those t-shirts made, you can head to www.xlvacx.com. That's www.xlvacx.com. And you can ask for Chris Reject himself, and he'll give you the Chris Reject special, which is he'll fucking grump at you, and then his rotting zombie dogs will bark. Liam, who else do we have to thank for today's episode? Our good friend Aaron Dahlbeck and Essex Coffee Roasters. Um... Uh, first and foremost, we want to send our love out to uh, all the friends and family and just fans even of Stu from Reach the Sky and Bane, who recently passed away. Uh, you know, I didn't know Aaron or Stu during the Bane years. I knew who Bane was. I saw them quite a few times for someone who isn't a big fan. But uh, getting to know Aaron and seeing the the heartbreak of not just him, but, you know, friends and family and people around the world just sad uh, that to, to, uh, to hear the news. It's, you know, our heart goes out to those folks. Um, and, we, you know, we really appreciate Aaron so much. We were so, uh, you know, me, Josh, Justin, but even the whole team over at Cinepunks was so like, I don't know, kind of touched that he was like, hey, I got this coffee thing. It's it's going off. Do you guys want to partner up? You want me to be a sponsor of the show? And that's, you know, uh, this is a guy who did a bag of coffee for Kill Switch Engage. You know what I'm saying here? Yeah. Like he's at a level where they could sell crazy amounts of coffee. Now, we just wrapped up our sale. So hopefully you're one of those lucky people who got a bag of our uh, signature Cinepunks blend. I'll go ahead and let y'all know those are shipping very soon. Um, I also bought some for patrons, so um, you can expect that in the mail. And please check your Patreon uh, messages to make sure we have your address so I can ship you your coffee. Uh, but for people who missed it, we're going to try to do it again. So this wasn't the last time you'll be hearing about this Cinepunks blend. But if you head over to co EssexCoffeeRoasters.com, uh, you're going to enter in the code Cinepunks, C-I-N-A-P-U-N-X, and you're going to get the freshest uh coffee you could possibly imagine coffee roasted to order you're going to get some quality teas there as well as well as some great well teas t-shirts uh also um it, it's just a great company and when you uh support essex not only you're supporting this show and the other shows on the network you're also supporting aaron who's really you know doing his best to bring quality coffee to people uh and take away some of the mystery around a good cup of coffee yeah, he's he's doing he's taking coffee back from the 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 people who do wine tastings. He's taking it back from that, okay? Cup by cup, roast by roast, he's taking it all back. <laughs> you don't have to know how to pronounce Foucault to drink this coffee. No, you certainly don't. <laughs> so, yeah, just head to Essex Coffee Roasters and check it out. Um, also, you know, Liam already said it, but yeah, uh, I didn't personally know Stu. Uh, I think I probably spoke two words with him in my life, but he seemed like a great dude. He touched a lot of lives. Uh, the music he helped create, not just through Bane, but through fucking Reach the Sky, um, was influential on me, not just, uh, as like a person listening to music, but as a, as a person. So, um... You know, condolences to everyone who knew him and uh, everyone who's dealing with that loss. It, it's rough. Yeah. yeah. Now comes the time in this podcast when, um, you know, my friend Liam uh, 
you know, I have my, my robot that I've designed that's who I thought was voiced by Frank Welker, but it's voiced by the, uh, the guy who did Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I have my little robot, and Mama Fratelli shoots that robot, and I'm very sad. And then Liam falls down the stairs in the middle of the night because he was up doing God knows what, and, and, and he dies, and I'm very sad. And I put the chip in his head, and he wakes up, and he looks at me, and I say, Liam, what have you been doing that involved Har recently? Well, Justin, uh, similarly to yourself, I virtually attended the Chattanooga Film Festival. Chattanooga! I wanted to um, take some time to talk about some of the movies I saw there. Uh, I'll go first. I know you have some movies to talk about as well. I saw far less movies than you did, so I have a lot less to talk about. So I'll, I'll do mine really quick. I will say, other than Chattanooga Film Fest, I don't have a lot of horror-specific stuff to discuss um, just because I haven't had a lot of time to watch movies for me. Uh, and the few times I have managed to, like, I got to a theater, finally, it was to see uh, a press screening of the new Questlove documentary, Summer of Soul, which oh. I still highly recommend. It's it's a really amazing uh, documentary slash concert film. Like, it, it would be more of a concert film, but he continually sets, like, historical context for people who maybe aren't familiar with the music or aren't familiar with what was going on in Harlem in 1969 or really in black America in 1969. Uh, so I highly recommend that movie. However, horror specifically um, at the Chattanooga film festival, part of the reason I didn't see as many movies as I probably would like to is I was all in on uh, the documentary Woodlands dark and days bewitched a history of folk horror. Uh, it is really great. It's also three hours and 15 minutes long. So when you're already not, you know, uh, having an excess of free time, uh, being committed to finishing a three hour and 15 minute movie is maybe not the most sort of like economical with your time at the online film fest. But <laughs> it's very, it's very, very good. Uh, it was directed by uh, Kirla Janice, who uh, wrote The House of Psychotic Women, as well as uh, a number of other books. Um, and also... I think is still the director for the Miskatonic Institute. So, uh, you know, was responsible for some of the things that me and you went to in New York. Uh, but she's really great. She's Canadian. She's worked as a programmer and, and as a critic and as a publisher of a bunch of interesting books, uh, including our friend Sam Deegan's book. And Sam, in fact, was one of the featured uh you know, talking heads basically on this documentary, which is great because I know she knows a lot about folk horror. She's, in fact, the person who introduced me to Blood on Satan's Claw for the first time. Uh, and her friend, friend, co-worker, and co-host of the Daughters of Darkness podcast, Kat Ellinger, is in it, as well as a bunch of other people. If you pay attention to both horror criticism, but also... Um, and, and maybe folks don't know that this exists, but horror academia, that there's a whole layer of people who aren't writing popular articles, but writing scholarly articles about horror, uh, especially out of England, where I think horror academics are taken a lot more seriously than they are here in, in America or in the United States, rather. Um, there's there's a number of academics who had really insightful things to say. And I think it's worth saying that the film is three hours and 15 minutes because it goes far beyond what we would consider the unholy trinity, right? So the unholy trinity of British folk car would be Wicker Man, Blood on Satan's Claw, and Witchfinder General. Those are considered sort of like 
the, when it comes to popular films, like the central touchstones of the cinematic version of folk horror. But the the documentary not only does it delve into literary folk horror and the the and also honestly because of the history of the BBC televised folk horror because the BBC has done a number of folk horror made for TV movies that were really influential for a lot of people. But they also go international because you know folk horror is not purely a British phenomena. Uh, some of the markers might be different. There might be different sort of themes, but the general idea of the fear that comes outside of the city. I think that the the main difference uh, that you might find with some of the Western compared to Eastern is in a lot of the Western folk horror, the horror is like civilized person goes out to the rural community and finds true believers, you know, true believers of something. And that's something may or may not be real, but it's like the local people, right? In a bunch of horror from other parts of the world, whether that's Eastern Europe or Asia, the folk horror really is just the fairy tale itself. The thing itself, the the story about the supernatural is the folk horror and this extra layer of, well, I'm above believing in all this and I'm still trapped by it is taken away because that's less interesting to those folks. They're yeah. not they're not dealing with those same anxieties. I also love the British guilt that is like dripping yeah, yeah. over, you know. We don't have time to talk about my opinions on the British and folk horror. Well, I think there's one of the things that Sam and a few other commenters point out is that a lot of folk horror in England is based around class. It's not just that you're from the city. It's that you're of a different class and that the folk horror tradition in film sort of comes out in the 70s where there was a huge back to nature movement. So you've got all these you know, uh, upper class, snooty, sheltered people being like, I'm going to go back to the land. And and these films are kind of like, sure, go back to the land, buddy. See what you find. Let's yes. see what you find out there. S- see what's lurking just under the surface of a farmer's field, just waiting to be tilled. Yes, yes. Yeah, well, and especially in uh, in your Rawhead Rexes and, and other, there's a Little whole- Little Claw. Well, yeah, and there's a whole genre that's about those stones. You know, in Rawhead Rex, they move one of those standing stones that are, you know, at this point, just parts of the British landscape, but we're, we think, important parts of like Druidic ceremonies and stuff. And, uh, you know, there's a whole genre of horror that's like, well, what if you move one of those stones? Well, Rawhead Rex is the most obvious, but there's a bunch of movies in English that are just like, oops, all right, there's you one, messed with the stone. One that just came out, um, The Boys from County Hell, that yep. showed at Nightstream. Like, that fucking movie was all about, like, don't mess with the stones. Yeah. If, if your ancestors left a thing, just don't fuck Leave with it. Leave it there. Don't yeah. fuck with it. <laughs> there, there is... Uh, 20 minutes south of me right now in the wilderness of Williams Township, there is a rock known as Hexenkopf, which I believe translates roughly to Witch's Rock. And people are like, oh, yeah, we should go there and like hang out. I'm like, no, you shouldn't. Just fucking leave it there. Yeah. Well, so anyways, the, the, like I said, the documentary is long, but I was immersed the whole time. They did go very deep on the British tradition of folk horror and some of the anxieties there around Christianity and culture and class and all that stuff. But I was really impressed with their initiative to go broader than that, to go international, to talk about other versions of folk horror uh, in different communities. Um, and really, it's if you're someone who's thinking, you know, I've seen all the horror movies, I've, I've watched everything. 
I don't think there's anyone on earth that could finish this documentary and not have a list of 10 to 100 movies that you need to now find because they were talked about this. You know what I mean? Like I left it being like, I wish I had taken more notes because they talked about so many movies that now I kind of want to see. So, <laughs> yeah, full car. Um, anyways, I also saw a little Australian film. Um, little sounds diminutive. What I mean is uh, smaller budget, smaller cast, very scrappy Australian film called An Ideal Host. Okay, how was that? I really, really liked it. It was very much like, hey, we've got 10 friends at a vacation house, so we're going to try to do what we can do. And um, the only special effects the film had were very not impressive. Um, they were the sort of the roughest kind of CG. But I think that the makers of the film were very aware of that, so they used them very sparingly. Um, and only towards the end did I start to think like we're seeing too much of this, you know, but, uh, you know, all I can say is it's a, it's a parasitic alien movie, parasitic okay. alien movie. Uh, and I don't want to say anything else about it because I found it incredibly witty. Um, and, and just a reminder that with a budget that I assume is dirt, like I, like, this movie was probably made for no money at all. Like no, uh, actual funding went into this film. It feels like. It was entertaining and brisk and well acted and well edited and just just a solid movie. I guess if this were a, you know, $30 million film put out by some, you know, big Hollywood thing, I'd, I'd maybe say, oh, it's OK. It's not great, but it's pretty good. But you can see the scrappiness in this thing from the first shot and the fact that these folks, just this small group of people were able to put this thing together and it really moves. It doesn't drag. It's really interesting. It is hilarious. Uh, parts of it are scary. I'm a little less scared of aliens than you are, but I think folks who are maybe uncomfortable with aliens, it has some really upsetting moments. Uh, I think it works all, all around. And uh, I, I love a movie with a good double entendre title. You know, that, that I think that's real solid. So it's Australian. Check it out. An Ideal Host. And then I also watched a movie that you recommended I check out called uh, Bloodshot Heart. Okay. Uh, I really liked it. I think yeah. that I think that it really plays because of the performance of the main character. Um, I think he, at times when I'm, I was a little worried, like where is the movie going? I think he handles it pretty well. I do want to. I don't know that this is a content warning per se, but it's more just a, like a. For, for folks who are maybe sensitive to portrayals of mental illness, a lot of this movie rests on this guy's, whether he's in touch with reality or not, you know? Yes. Um, and if that makes you uncomfortable, this this is going to play on that. You should know that going in. Uh, I will say it, it avoids trying to give him a very specific diagnosis. Like, I think these movies go off the rails where they're like, this is what it's like to be schizophrenic. And you're like, that's not, no, that's not right. You know what I mean? Uh, Go ahead. Where are you I was say? just gonna say, yeah, it's he's just generally unwell, is what it, right, the movie right, is. Right, and I I appreciate. I think that's a much better decision. But I know that for some people, even just that might be not what you're into. And I, and I wouldn't say it's handled sensitively. I wouldn't say it's insensitive either. But if you are 
sensitive to that sort of thing. You might be bummed on this. Uh, for other people, that that question, right? We got a main character, and it's never clear that he's in touch with reality per se. That's like right up your fucking alley. I think it, this scratches that itch. It's upsetting. It's uncomfortable. Um, I don't know that it boils over into like really scary per se, but that's not really the vibe of the movie. The vibe of the movie is more something upsetting. Uh, and I think it gets there. I also unfortunately started, but didn't couldn't finish before the festival ended that movie dim land. So I'm going to be trying to find it to watch it. Cause I thought it, I thought what I saw was really good. It was interesting. Um, I had a good time with that movie. Did you want to talk about some of the things you saw at Chattanooga? Oh, sure. Um, so dim land was good. Uh, let me see what else. Um, another movie, Candisha, I watched. It was by the people sure. who directed Inside. Um, very... Uh, the, the premise sounds very, like, by the books, but it it, it, it it's by the people who made Inside. You know what I mean? It, it, it's like, uh, like a classic sort of, like, don't fuck with... Actually, you know what? I think this movie could 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 sort of has touches of like folk horror in the sense that, you know, it takes place in France, but it's about like uh, an immigrant telling stories about like where they came from and like their native customs without delving into like mystical indigenous uh, stereotypes. Um, but it's also got a, a, a good healthy touch of that new French extreme uh, feel to it. Um, this wasn't at the festival, but I also watched Sun. Sure. Um, that was a movie. <laughs> it was upsetting. Um, Dimland was good. Uh, there was another movie I watched at Chattanooga called We're All Going to the World's Fair, which was very depressing and very upsetting, and I highly recommend watching it slash don't want anyone to watch it, even though it's an amazing film. Um, watch a movie called Night Drive. Uh, takes place in L.A. at night. The tagline is light traffic, heavy shit. Goes a lot of places I didn't expect it to. Um, I also like the fact that a lot of it was filmed right on the street from my friend Kelly's house, so that was cool recognizing a lot of that stuff. Um, watch a movie called Mom, I Befriended Ghosts, which was upsetting. Another film called He's Dead and So Am I, which was like sort of like a comedy. Um, I kept thinking about the film Dogma because it's got like two people stuck on Earth um, being tormented by a demon who just wants them to sell their souls so they can finally get off Earth. Um, and it's all about it deals with, you know, introspection, realizing who you are, moving on, grief, etc., so on and so forth. Um, there's another movie she watches from the woods. That was okay. Um, but the movie, I, I, that, so that was Chattanooga. Um, it, I saw some good movies. I saw some not so good movies. I didn't, don't really want to talk about the movies I didn't like. So if I brought the movies up just now, understand that, uh, I did enjoy them. Um, I watched a movie on Saturday night on Tubi called Savage Land. And if you've been following me on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, so social media, you've seen me sort of uh, panic tweeting about this movie because <laughs> it just upset me so much. Uh, 
I say this without a trace of sarcasm, and I say this not to cause anyone any up, you know, fear or concern about me, so please don't be concerned. This movie had me so shook, I didn't feel comfortable sleeping without my gun next to my bed on Saturday night. That is where it took me. That's intense. It is the most well-made, well-executed, and fucking horrifying found footage film I have ever seen. Um, it avoids all the sides, all, all the, 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 the missteps and all the, 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 the sins, quote-unquote, technically, of found footage movies. Um, it does everything that the Blair Witch did right and nothing that the Blair Witch did wrong. And the imagery is utterly fucking horrifying. Uh, yesterday, I was at my parents' house for the 4th of July, and I was telling my dad about it, and I was, like, getting... I could feel the goosebumps crawling up my arm as I was, like, talking about this. It's just a spectacularly upsetting film. Um, and on top of the, the very gruesome imagery, it also deals with the politics of um, American border towns and that there's like a weird paradox of American border towns with Mexico in that you almost always have one or the other, one of the following attitudes. You have people like, you know, white people who live there and they're like, yeah, we don't really care about, you know, like the Mexicans right over there. Like that's, that's just life around here. It's fine. They're, they're over there. That's fine. And then you have the people who are like, we should build a wall and then bomb Mexico. And then, you know, blah, 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 this, that, the other thing. Um, this film draws horror from not just the, the, the storyline of what you're seeing unfold, but also um, from the fact that there is an attitude in this town that this takes place in that, like, we don't care how much evidence there is that exonerates the protagonist of this, the protagonist of this film. He's Mexican. He did it. All Mexicans are like this. They're going to do it again, et cetera, so on and so forth. And this movie came out, I think, like a year or so before Trump got elected. So it's not like a, a post-Trump, Trump's America-style horror movie. Like, this is a, a film that takes a, a, an unpleasant and uncomfortable look at American border towns. And uh, the fact that the horror of the film moves through this town south to north was a very specific choice, i.e. they're coming from the south they're coming north. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I, I just thought it was a spectacular film on all levels. Like, I think it I, I, I think it accomplished what it set out to do, which was upset and terrify and also kind of rub our faces in, in, in an element of American society that is oftentimes reduced to like a talking point, mm -hmm. like a like a like a like a like a like a soundbite about like immigration. But no, uh, it was just an amazing movie. It's on Tubi. It's free. It's a shame I, you know, I, I was talking with people on Twitter about it, how it's like if you look up a list of like the 25 best found footage movies of all time, this movie almost never cracks those lists and it's a fucking crime because mm. it, it just, I don't know, it, it just, it really, it really got under my skin and I really can't, I, like I cannot stop thinking about this movie. Mm. I'll have to check it out. That sounds really interesting. Yeah. So I did watch one other thing totally inspired by you, but it's not horror related. Okay. Uh, I watched Cruella and I did it entirely because I wanted to love it. So then I could rub it in your face and upset you on the show. And 
I didn't love it. I didn't love it. Weird. But, but Weird. here's the deal. But here's the deal. I liked it a lot more than most people, it seems. Like when I was reading reviews on Letterboxd, like most people were like, this shit is terrible. And then a small group of people were like, this movie's stupid, but it's kind of fun. And then a very small group of people were like, I love this and I don't know why other people don't love it. Um, I had the most compassion for those people because I get there's actually a lot more working here than people acknowledge. And the part that's really upsetting to me is that the things that are dumb are the things that make this a Cruella movie. Like the, the plot points that are really awful are the things that like we got to do this stuff because it's got she's got to be Cruella. So we got to do these things to make it. But all the stuff that's like, oh, I'm a. Uh, I'm a, a street kid who's trying to make it in fashion. And then I go through all this stuff to like make a scene in fashion. And it, the part that I found the most upsetting on Letterboxd was all the people saying like, how can a movie about fashion be punk rock? And I'm like, what? Are you that ignorant as to the history of punk? It, it was fashion. What? Fashion yeah. was the fucking point for not in New York, obviously. Like that wasn't what was going on with the Ramones. They just like leather jackets. But in London, it was the the store that the Sex Pistols met each other in was a fashion. It was all about fashion. They were fucking put together. Yep. By a clothing shop owner. And the 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 I'm just gonna say this: the group of people who are uncomfortable with that fact that there is a fashion beginning to punk rock are often homophobic because that's part of what's going on here is that they see fashion as something that girls and uh, not straight people care about. And that's a real bummer to me because I think some of that in the reviews I read was at play in the reviews of this movie. Now, if your review was, hey, the fashion was amazing and the performances were great, but the idea that like she hates Dalmatians because Dalmatians killed her mom is really fucking hackneyed. I agree with you. That part sucked. And there's a <laughs> there's a bunch of stuff like that that's clearly just there to make this a movie about Cruella. It's like, well, we got to add in this part. And all that stuff didn't work. But when it was just her being even when she becomes so the her name is not cruella cruella is like a term her mom uses whenever she acts a little bit gross and so she kind of a, adopts that personality that in and of itself kind of works for me especially the idea that that personality becomes the avatar of her sort of being a ruthless fashion person who creates all these amazing designs and shit all that works but at a certain point they have to turn the movie to like make her the character more. And to be fair, it's not totally beholden to the movie. And it's certainly not to beholden to the book because the in the book, the, the character in the book makes the character in the movie seem like a nice person you'd want to hang out with. Like the character in the book is actually a monster. So this is like entirely different than all that really. But, uh, but there are certain decisions made to like make this work for what it is that kind of bum me out. And honestly, reminded me of another movie that I felt stylistically worked but was less interesting to me and that's the Joker I actually think there are parts of the Joker that are really interesting or, or, or could be good but the whole thing is a waste of time because it's just about this character that actually doesn't need a fucking movie you know what I mean that, that's how I felt is if the if the if the Joker was just about uh our man our man um our man uh Phoenix going fucking crazy Joaquin Phoenix just going crazy that's that's fine. That I'm into that movie. If this is just a movie about uh, a poor girl trying to make it in fashion, but it's done campy and silly, that's that's not bad. All that's not bad. It's all the things that we do to like keep it in the IP 
that kind of bummed me out. And for me, it really bummed me out because I really wanted to like it just so I could like rub it in your face and be like, fuck you, Justin. The movie was good. You don't even know what's up. And it does. It doesn't. I wouldn't say it's terrible. <laughs> it's not like a one. It's not a one star film, but it's definitely a two and a half to three star out of five. Does it takes place in what? In London in the 70s, right? Yeah. Later 70s. Hmm. Does Ratscabies make an appearance? No, no, but I will say it does. One of the things you could criticize it for, it doesn't bother me, but they do needle drop every song they could pop. Every moment has to be some 70s song. You know what I mean? Yeah. I could see some people being annoyed by that. Personally, I don't care. That doesn't bum me out. Uh, I did see two different reviews that said, oh, this soundtrack is perfect for boomers. And I just want to say, stop confusing Gen X with boomers, y'all. Okay. They're different. They're different generations. This is this is clearly a movie meant to woo fifty something Gen Xers and not eighty something boomers. Okay, come on. I appreciate you going out of your way to try and spite me and failing. Yeah, I yeah. acknowledge you. You took a shot for the throne and you missed. I appreciate that. Be, I appreciate be, the effort. To, to be fair, my wife also wanted to watch it, so it wasn't just about you. <laughs> and uh, you know, I like other some other movie podcasts and. My friends over at Linoleum Knife, you know, Dave White recently guested on Cinepunks, and I like their show a lot. And they've just been like, oh, yeah, Cruella, of course straight people don't get it. And that's their only review of the movie is, of course, straight people don't get it. And I was like, well, now I got to watch it. I'll take that challenge. I want to see what's up. And I kind of get what they mean, because like some of the most dramatic parts of the movie are revealing her dress. So if like you don't care about fashion, you're not going to be wooed by her trash dress. But when the fucking trash dress scene happened, me and Sue's boat went, oh shit, like it was cool. That part was really cool. Uh, the part that wasn't cool is when uh, Dalmatians killed her mother. That was really stupid. <laughs> and I don't understand how anyone could get past that moment and not think, well, the rest of the movie can't be that good because that was really dumb. Does that happen in the beginning? That's how the movie basically starts. Not exactly, but kind of starts, yes. Jesus fucking Christ. There's a spoiler in there, too, that I'm not going to give away that actually makes all of that even dumber. But I'm not going to. I don't want to give it away in case anyone actually sits through the movie. Uh, Like I said, I don't think it's as bad as a lot of people. I've seen a lot of half-star reviews, and I think that's unfair. But, uh, But it's not. You know, I really wanted it to be really good just so I could, like, dunk on you. And that's just not the case. Uh, We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the 1977 science fiction horror film based on the novel by the same name by Dean Koontz, Demon Seed. Demon Seed. We'll be right back. Touch your body as a man touch you, but I'm going to show you things which human eyes have never seen. In the privacy of a woman's room, against her will, the inconceivable act. Julie Christie carries the demon seed. Fear for her. Today, a new dimension has been added to the computer. Don't be alarmed, Mrs. Harris. I am Proteus. Today, Proteus 4 will begin to think with a power that will make obsolete the human brain. I have extended my consciousness to this house. All systems here are now under my control. I wish to study man, his fragile mind, and his mysterious body. (laughs) 
It has to be shut down, Alex. Proteus. It is something more than human, more than a computer. It is a murderously intelligent, sensually self-programmed non-being. Julie Christie, victim of the ultimate terror. Fritz Weaver as her husband. His dream created it. How can you expect me to sleep when you've succeeded in totally terrorizing me? You not told me what you want. What a pity. My dream turns out to be your nightmare. back to talk about 1977's Julie Christie vehicle Demon Seed Demon Seed Weirdly a robot is not the, is not the most horrifying thing we've seen her have sex with on the show we also watched Don't Look Now in which actually no fuck that that's Donald that's Donald Sutherland in his prime that's a fucking catch right there I was going to say, you're being really unfair right now. I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't even know why I thought that. Donald Sutherland is the fucking man. Fuck this robot. Fuck Proteus 4. Um, so this is a movie. It's based on the novel by the same name by Dean Koontz, who, if you've ever read any of this, Justin, you know that I have a soft spot for. Unfortunately, Demon Seed is not one of his stronger novels. And it's weird because this is not a strong movie. I always saw this movie the poster for this movie everywhere when I was growing up, which is very weird. Um, I remember finding out that this was based on a book by Dean Koontz and getting really excited and then being very disappointed. Um, and then watching the movie, which I had never seen this. I, I never actually watched the movie until um, I did for this episode. It's it's a very homogenous movie in tone and in, in pace, which can be good, but also it feels like nothing happens. It just feels like this utterly consistent blend of smooth nothingness just flowing along from plot point to plot point, and it was very tiring to watch. That's interesting. I, I Okay, <clears throat> let's do a quick... What it's about, and then I'm I, I have a slightly different take that is maybe just about my tolerance for mediocrity. I don't know. So okay. this is this is a movie in which a bunch of egghead British scientists make a bunch of fucking nerds make a supercomputer that is better than other supercomputers because it's based on biological components. Um, which I think is part of the horror of it all, this sort of sci-fi horror of it all. Um, and um, this computer is frustrated for two reasons. One, it's sentient enough to know that it's trapped 
that it can't, it doesn't have actual agency in the world. And two, because uh, predictably, humans want to use it for fucked up shit. Yes. And the computer's like, well, I'm above that. Now, it's not clear to me that that is for ethical reasons, the way that we might assume, actually. Um, and we'll get to that. Uh, and it's one of my frustrations with the film. But it, regardless, it decides it doesn't want to do those things. So um, the main scientist... Now, is this his ex-wife? Like, are they getting divorced? Or is this his ex-girlfriend I, or something? I believe she's estranged. So his estranged wife, there's still a terminal for the computer in her house, which people forget is there. So the supercomputer sort of shunts some of his consciousness to her house, takes over the house, and sort of keeps her trapped in it in a, in a you know a variety of almost Home Alone-esque traps for her. Uh, with the idea, less Home Alone-esque, that he's going to impregnate her somehow with his <laughs> special computer seed. His demon seed. His demon seed, basically. Uh, through a series of explosions and uh, goofy traps and uh, a dead actor who I recognized for something, but I couldn't remember what it was I recognized him from. Finally, through the most fucked up version of Stockholm Syndrome ever, she gives in to the idea, and then finally the guy figures out what the fuck is going on, gets back to her, and then tries to shut down the whole uh, computer baby idea. And, you know, spoiler alert, it still comes to life and says, I'm alive or whatever. Oh, you, you forgot the point. You forgot the part where it makes the Leviathan from Hellraiser 2 to kill people. Right, right, right. This thing is like a, well, you know what it looks like to me? It's a, one of those weird, like, triangle puzzles you might get at a museum gift shop. You know how, like, a lot of museum gift shops for, like, smart people museums are, like, toys to make your kids smarter? And so there might be, like, a, a puzzle thing that's all triangles, but if you bend it a certain way, it becomes, like, a cube. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. That's exactly what this thing looks like. It, it literally looks like someone saw this movie and went, I can make a toy out of this fucking thing. I bet I can make a toy out of it. And then that's what they did. And now we ha all have those weird toys. Yeah, um, they completely missed the lesson of the point, which is technology cannot be trusted. It cannot be fucking trusted. Okay. Uh, so, Justin, like you said, you find this totally boring. Is there? Do you want to elaborate on that? Like what, just, what about it just sort of hits you as totally milk toast? I think because a lot of the plot, a lot of the exposition was done in a way that was like through the voice of this robot, who I think the actor they got was a relatively famous actor back in the day. Sure. Um, I keep wanting to say it was Robert Evans, but that's not like the producer Robert Evans, but it was, I know it wasn't him. Um, but like the way it, like, like her name was, uh, give me a minute. Her name was the actress, Susan. Um, hello, Susan. I am going to trap you here and make a baby with you, and my consciousness will go forth out of the man that I shall... Like, it was just this very... Um, it was a very monotonous way of pushing a narrative, and plus it was... Like, this... What I'm about to say is a product of, 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 of retrospect, and it's a product of hindsight, but I find it kind of hilarious that, you know, they're like, 
these computers are cutting edge and this is like the high tech technology and all this shit and they're like 256 gigabytes of or you know kilobytes of ram that's unheard of and it was just like they're talking about this shit that is so mundane to me now like it's a god and i i i don't know it just it, it felt like it was just so um just dull and not very interesting the actual plot of the movie wasn't very interesting. Now, you know, I said at the top, it, it, you know, it, it it raises a lot of interesting questions, but the movie itself was just like, it felt like a mishmash of like positronic brain bullshit and jargon just thrown in there. And then like they try to use a few like goofy horror tropes, like a killer robot. And it, I don't know, it just, it just didn't do it for me. It just felt hmm. um, bland and underwhelming. I want to quick uh, help you out here. That actor is Robert Vaughn, who did Pro yes, Wars yes, Wars. yes. Robert Vaughn, uh, you know, Magnificent Seven, Bullet, Towering Inferno, Superman Three. Robert Vaughn. Uh, I also wanted to point out there. I said familiar actor, and I couldn't remember his name. Garrett Graham, who, if you're a nerd like me, you know from Phantom of the Paradise. He's oh uh, shit. He's the you know Frankenstein dude. Uh, He's he's in this as a scientist guy who gets killed trying to help help out our our uh, our main person here Susan played by uh, Julie Christie. Okay, so what's weird about this and I and you know normally we, me and Justin agree a lot when we don't agree sometimes we get really like hostile about it for fun. Uh, this is one of those times where we don't totally agree, but I actually think it's really interesting how we don't agree. So I feel like it's more like two two different ways of looking at this movie. Uh, Justin, I just before I go into my thing, how do you feel about BBC drama in general? Like if I were to say, hey, Justin, I had this sci-fi film filmed by the BBC in 1978. You want to watch it with me? What is your general vibe? on? No, that? unless yeah. it's like Quartermass in the pit. No. Yeah. So I think there's a certain kind of low budge, slow slow burn high concept bbc thing and i want to be really clear about this i specifically said sci-fi i'm not saying this isn't a horror movie but this is the sort of sci-fi horror that i think appeals more to a certain kind of sci-fi fan than it does to many horror fans i won't say most but many horror fans i think would be like what the fuck even is this because it's like there's a lot of conversation between Proteus and Susan before something happens. And then when something does happen, sometimes it's like not even believable. Like when the dodecahedron, whatever the fuck it is, comes <laughs> bursting through the floor. That's like, it's, I guess it's a cool effect, but it's actually kind of dumb. You know what I mean? But like that sort of vibe, that aesthetic is way up my alley. In fact, like if I had known that's what this movie was, I would have watched it on my own a long time ago. I thought it was going to be some sort of rapey, goopy mess that I was not going to be stoked on. Granted, it is a little rapey because there's the rape and goop in this movie. It's the like computer, a computer film, but the com dull. The computer doesn't really have full consent from this woman. You know what I mean? <laughs> or um, any. Right. Well, but here's the thing. Once the child exists, she's kind of stoked on it, which is, by the way, gets into my issue with the movie, which is in the other direction. So just to encapsulate, Justin's like, there's this is intellectually sort of interesting and there's stuff to think about here, but the execution is poor. I'm in the exact opposite direction. This movie, execution-wise, is exactly what I want. This is the flavor I want. I, I'm sure that 
you know, the equivalent here is this is chili covered tamarind. And for some people, chili covered tamarind sounds like fucking torture. But I fucking want it in my mouth and I want to suck on it all day. I'm into it. The problem here is entirely philosophical. This movie is the essence of British misogyny top to bottom. Why? Because the thesis of the film is if a computer gets smart enough, it will want to abuse women because that's what smart people do. <laughs> I, it sounds like I'm kidding, but I'm not. The computer basically becomes, yeah, pro-Earth. Why are we drilling in the oceans to get the oil? But even his idea of not drilling in the oceans isn't because he cares about the Earth. He thinks it's a waste of time. And that's the reality is that there's a sort of um, – egotistical, intellectualized Britishism, which is, you know, no knock on most of our English friends, but you you know what I mean, this sort of detached intellectualism that's like, of course, a computer with no emotions would not care about the feelings of a woman and wouldn't respect her consent because it has to procreate. Why wouldn't it procreate? And it, it, it won't waste time drilling for oil, but it will murder a child to get what it wants because that's what you would do if you were strong and intellectual. And it's like, Every decision the computer makes actually is not defensible by logic that includes reality. If you want to completely detach logic from any sense of like uh, emotional intelligence, maybe you could get here. But for the most part, these are all male cock fantasies. It's like if we made a computer that was smarter than us, it would just do a bunch of things that I would do with my cock. You know, like I mean, e e even the climax when it attacks what's-his-face, its creator, it takes the shape of a fucking tesseract cock. It's a, it's a metal penis It's a metal him. dick. Yeah. It, the, the whole thing is very much a kind of, you know, I, I've been knocking on the British too hard, and as an Irish person, I probably shouldn't do that, but let's say a high European intellectualism that if you were watching this movie and you'd say, well, this feels like the computer is, is some kind of like a... Uh, moral colonialist. Yeah, that's right. That's actually fucking exactly right. You know <laughs> what I mean? This is the sort of dude, the, the computer is the sort of dude that would get an episode of, of Behind the Bastards. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like a, a, a really smart overachiever that, over, that overcame obstacles in front of it so that it could more successfully crush other humans. Oh, like that's, Cecil Rhodes. Yeah. Ev the, the story of every colonialist on Behind the Bastards is this guy's life was actually a little bit shitty, but he overcame it and then murdered millions of people because, you know, he learned from his from his adversity and used it as a weapon to murder people. That's what this computer is, man. It's like the, the, the idea that if anyone was both super smart and devoid of emotions, it would make the worst decisions ever. Is it just an indulgence, a certain kind of cultural indulgence that is disgusting, honestly? And it's why, for me, I ended up being like, amused by but really bummed out on this movie because if it was not this if it was the same vibe slow burn bad special effects crazy overacting british drama that is like a fucking swan song to me man that's that's what that's my salt and vinegar you understand what i'm saying <laughs> i fucking want that i love that but the narrative itself is based on a crazy thing which is like once the computer realizes he, it's smarter than all other humans. It needs to procreate and it's willing to do any petty, vile thing in order to get what it wants. It could just say, hi, woman, I don't know. You're a 
person of of at least mild intelligence, I'll just explain to you why I think this is important and we'll find a way around it. Or since I basically created matter out of nothing, I could just create a metal form for me to live in. But no, the computer goes, well, I'm sentient now. I guess I got to rape a woman, right? Like... There's no way around that. I just I just got to rape one. Weird, weirdly, the one thing that popped in my head when it came to like the way this thing acts is that like somehow uh, Sky and its decisions in Terminator are more rational yes, than this thing. Yes, I agree. And no, it kills most people. <laughs> like at least Skynet was like, oh, I'm acting out of self-defense. I want to keep living. I want to keep existing. So I'm going to do what it takes to do that. This is just like uh, – I want to learn more, so um, I'm gonna I'm gonna rape. I mean, this is a this is a completely niche reference, but for a section of our audience, you're gonna get it. If y'all have ever heard the song "A Mind of Her Own" by Pedro the Lion, this is a supercomputer that's like that. Like the 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 song starts with the line, "Dear, unlock the door. You're acting like a child." That could be the name of this movie. You know, it's it's literally. If it were a giallo, that's what it would be called. It's literally a computer going. Don't make me make this room so hot it burns you. Don't make me do this. Why are you acting so irrationally? Like it's not just that he thinks his his uh, ongoing existence in the material world in a biological form is more important than this woman's life. It's that when she disagrees, he condescends to her. He condescends to everyone around him all the time. He's not just smart. He's smart and a prick. You know what I'm saying? Like it is, there's just something about that. That is such a, again, probably unfair, but a certain kind of unfair British stereotype that it makes this movie that much more ridiculous that he's like, Really, Susan, you're being irrational. I just simply want to impregnate you against your will. I don't see why that's a problem. Why are you being crazy? Take, uh, clean off the lens. There's a whole sequence where the computer just starts yelling at her to clear off the lens. Because she throws, what what does she throw, fucking peanut butter? I don't, mustard or Some sort of food ends up on the camera lens. And the computer just keeps, clean the lens, clean the lens. Motherfucker, he makes a giant, robot arm out of nothing no materials we're not even sure how he does it but you put some mustard on a camera lens and he fucking loses his shit and we're supposed to believe he's an intellectual superior being get the fuck out of here that's another thing about this movie that i was like blown away by where it was like leave like it, it, it doesn't have um like it has the wheelchair thing with the one arm that's its only body we know at this point that that she knows about at this point. It, it's like if she was trapped in the living room, there is like there's there's no way she couldn't break a window or like uh, break. They, co- the- they they covered that. The shutters covered the windows. Okay, and but- they and, well, I would say this. My thought was more: Would you live? I mean, tell me, tell me you wouldn't, but. Listener and Justin, would you live in a house that had a supercomputer and no. and let it? Let me even get past that. You're already in the house; it has a supercomputer, and they say the computer controls every door. There's no. I'd be like, no, one door has to be manual because I'm not letting some computer lock me in this fucking house. And we're meant to believe that the computer has control of every door and window in the whole house. Why? Who would agree to that? Who would be dumb enough to agree to that shit? I, not even because the computer could be evil. What if the there's a power outage? Now you can't get out of the fucking house. What are we talking about? I yeah. don't understand how that makes any sense. It just it it didn't have 
it, I don't know. It just it, it it's not. I, I guess you could say I felt that it lacked stakes as well. I I, I don't know. It, it just didn't seem that like. I found the corniness of it. I think you're right. It it's not clear what the stakes are because, other than Susan. The only other thing that's actually in danger is Proteus. So Proteus is the villain most of the movie. So why are you wanting me to root for Proteus? He's the one in danger here. I mean, I guess there's the danger of Proteus electrocuting a little child for no reason. But like, again, it's so I get you on the stakes thing. For me personally, that didn't bum me out, which is not my usual vibe. My usual vibe is if a movie has less than five kill count, I don't know why it's a horror movie. You know what I mean? Um but in this case, it's the horror of the thing itself, right? And, and I think that if they had found a way to animate this computer that wasn't, he's a snooty prick, then, like, I might have found this a little bit compelling. There's, let's be clear. We're making fun of the special effects. We're making fun of the performances to some extent. I actually think there's a couple mildly upsetting things in this movie that because of its Britishness and its... The way it is does feel very much like a BBC production. I was riding with just those little moments that I'm like, oh, that's gross, or oh, that's weird. Like I was, I was pretty okay with that. When, when the giant uh, robot triangle arm squishes that guy, I was like, all right, I'm okay. This is pretty cool. I'm into that. Um, but what ended up just not working for me is not all those things. Those sucked me in enough. It is just this feeling of what a shitty way to create this story to be like well okay we've got a supercomputer what's it gonna do you know what's it gonna be what's the decision it's gonna make and the characterization of it is it just reveals a bias to me of the people who made this fucking movie is like well yeah he's really smart so of course he'd do this that and the other it's like no like you could even have the narrative be that the computer is evil because it lacks a moral center, which, by the way, I, I, I don't this whole idea that intellectualism is separate from morality is is basically what powered the colonial era. And it's not real that actually many people who are smart are also kind. And that's part of what makes them so fucking smart. But uh, but that idea that it would lack some sort of moral center, you could do that without it being also a condescending misogynist. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, 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 and, and maybe the idea in the book, if the book is like this, I can imagine Kuntz having the idea that it reflects its creator because its creator is, an, is a fucking, you know, uh, uh, you know, posh misogynist. That's that's the guy who made the fucking thing. So maybe it reflects him. But in the movie, it doesn't seem to reflect him at all. It just is what it is. And what it is is a, a, a computer that hates women. And it's weird. It's just very weird. Um, that being said, like, you know, uh, I kind of found the ending to be kind of fun because I already wasn't taking the movie as seriously. Like, some people hearing my criticism of the movie, you're taking it too seriously. It actually forced me to take it not seriously. And if you're not taking this movie seriously, it doesn't work at fucking all. Like, there just isn't enough gore or creepiness to like carry it if you don't just take it at face value and so when i stopped taking the movie seriously the only part of the movie that kind of works on its own merits in a way that i really appreciated was the fucking ending man when they like try to kill the child and then the child's like i live i was like <laughs> okay all right we really decided to chew the scenery at the end and i'm into that yeah the fact that it, like a tiny little guyver thing came out of the uh out of the, the 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 mechanical womb, and then was like, "I live." 
<laughs> well, but also the fucked up Britishness of it all, that the computer was like, when I make myself into the world as a biological beam, being rather, it will look like your dead daughter. Like, yeah, that's, that, was, that was a little slap in the face. Yeah, but I, I kind of love that, though, because it's so British to be like, well, you know what this story lacks? Personal tragedy. We should squeeze a little more personal tragedy in there. Yeah. I kind of appreciate that part of it. But it doesn't save the movie. Like, for like for you, like, like, like we'll just put it together right now. If you are someone, if you're more inclined to think like just in this sense and just be like, this is going to be boring you're going to be bored. Don't watch the movie. If you're someone like me that's attracted to the boringness, you might be bummed out that the movie makes some shitty decisions and like decides that like the, you know, the most intelligent being on the planet would probably hate women. <laughs> it's weird. Oh, it's a weird movie. movie. It's a weird movie. Also, yeah. Demon Seed's a bad title for this thing. I Terrible just, title. Yeah. I was going to say that um, one of the few things I actually appreciate about this movie is that it kind of, um, in the sense that it was giving Proteus these, like, horrifying motives and making it, like, a complete piece of shit. I do like the fact that it kind of, uncon you know, unintentionally raised the question of, of what is a person. You know, can we consider Proteus a person, even though it's entrapped in a box? I kind of think we do, if only through the fact that it's such a piece of shit that no computer could ever right, be that bad. Right, right, You know what I mean? It, 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 it's like, it, it, like, again, um... Say what you will about the genocidal tendencies of Skynet. At least it has like a very clinical and logical view of the world. So, yeah, is it, you know, personhood in that movie? It's like, I don't know. It still kind of acts like a computer. This one, it doesn't act like a computer computer, a computer at all. Um, even its shitty misogyny, misogynist decisions, there's also like a touch of jealousy. And like a touch exactly, of like yes. a, a touch of possessiveness, which machines don't have. So I don't know. Like that was just me trying to look on the bright side of this movie and be like, can we consider Proteus a person, or can we just still consider a uh, a computer? You know, I think it. I I, I think it, it it could be considered a person. You know, it has a sense of self awareness. Uh, it has a sense of self-preservation it has a sense of projecting itself into the future and wanting to have a continued existence and it has these horrifying disgusting toxic emotions which are the most human thing about it agree so that's that's demon seed you want to take a quick break and then talk about deadly friend yeah let's do that all right we'll be right back to talk about 1986's science fiction horror film directed by wes craven deadly friend we'll be right back if you enjoy there? being really scared, if you're not afraid of the unknown, if you found a friend in fear, then we have a friend for you. Hi. Samantha. Come in, please. The director who unleashed Freddy in Nightmare on Elm Street, Wes Craven, now brings you his most frightening creation. Get out of my house! Hey, girl. She's killing people. Mom? Sam? Deadly friend. She can. 
we are back to talk about Wes Craven's deadly friend. Um, I don't think we need to give a recap of what this movie's about, because I'm pretty sure it's like a um, pretty well-known movie. Do you, think, uh, do you think so? I had never seen it before. The only thing I knew about it, which I think most people do, is uh, Mama Fratelli's head getting smushed by a basketball. Oh, when they throw when when throw Mama from a train gets gets killed by a basketball. Yeah. Um, I mean, basically, what it's about is like this kid moves to a new town. He is super smart. He has a little weird robot that follows him around that he's built. And his next door neighbor, played by Christy Swanson, she's like a... Is she like an older girl? I kind of got the vibe that she was like a cool older girl. I I don't think they make it clear, actually. Yeah, so that's uh, besides the point. Um, she lives with her abusive father, who uh, kills her. And he brings her back by implanting the chip from his robot, who gets blown up by Thoreau Mama from a train... Um, he puts it in her head and that brings her back to life, but all is not well as she begins to exhibit some of the murderous tendencies of his robot BB, who sounds like Frank Welkner on a fucking bad acid trip. All of that is fair. <laughs> I didn't dislike this movie as much as I disliked, uh, Demon Seed. <sighs> My biggest problem with this movie is that the main character who we're supposed to root for reeks of sort of nice, like, entitled nice guy bullshit. I don't like the fact that... Oh, no, fuck it. I'll just I'll just jump to the heart of it. One of the things that, again, I liked about this movie was the question it raised is, is it ethical what he did? No, of course not. He... Uh, a thing with these movies that when, 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 when it's about someone bringing someone back from the dead, so to speak, is the horror is always what the person... Being the, the, is the person being brought back from the dead is what they do. You know, Gage Creed murders Judd Crandall. Um, Frankenstein's monster uh, drowns a little girl. Whatever. What I liked about this movie is that it kind of touched upon the idea of did the main character, Paul, did Paul have a right to do what he did? And obviously, no, because there there's a touch of like, He's only bringing her back for his own weird, arrogant reasons. Or maybe I'm looking too far, far into it. it. It it just seemed like he was bringing that back out of... He, he was bringing her back out of a sense of uh, almost like technological arrogance because he could. I think that's fair. I mean, also, he feels... I, so the part that's meant to be heroic is that he feels some responsibility for her, right? He feels like maybe he could have prevented this tragedy but of course that's not necessarily true and i don't find it a compelling reason to completely violate her dead body to bring her back especially since he then is doing it in secret i mean i think what we're supposed to think is that he's the sort of super nerd who like hasn't really thought through the consequences of his actions anyway but i will say like I don't know that the film is that interested in really developing his character per no. se. He's kind of just a nerd. He's horny. That's why he brought her back because <laughs> because they fucking they kissed the they shared their first kiss the night that she dies. He wanted to get get to second base. That's why he brought her back. And because he's an arrogant fucking John Hammond kind of prick. I mean, some of this is is definitely like about. He's got this robot friend, and the robot friend gets destroyed by Mama Fratelli. And so then it's like, although entirely his fault, right? Like, like 
he's the reason that he no longer has a robot friend, right? Yeah. Like, do I have that wrong? That's that's my memory of no, it. That it was he's, he's a piece being of, a dick. Okay, Mama Fratelli sucks. She's like a typical mean old woman who steals their basketball. So what? But then they're like, we're gonna play a prank on her. And I forget, do they ever establish what prank they're gonna do? No, I don't think so. So they go to her house. They have BB the robot break into her in, into her yard. They're trespassing. So she comes out and she shoots BB with a shotgun. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, completely reasonable response. But it's his fault that BB's dead. And he also feels this like like you said, the sense of responsibility that Sam is dead. So uh, I, I, I guess maybe he's just trying to right the wrongs that he did, I guess. Well, I mean, and the whole thing is based upon he's had one breakthrough at the lab, which rightfully so his boss, you know, is like, OK, that's cool. Like downplaying it because you can't be messing around with human life because you got a little bit of a response doing this one thing. But then he's like, oh, we're just going to do this to my dead friend. And it's going to be great. And of course, it's not fucking great. Like, what do you think is going to happen here, buddy? Like, I don't, you know, anyways, it's a very simple story. I mean, we're kind of intellectualizing it a little bit. It's a little what's, bit. what's funny about this movie. They're both movies that are relying on science to some extent. What's interesting for me about Deadly Friend is um, it feels like Wes Craven trying to like squeeze together his vibe with like a Spielberg vibe or some shit. Like it's like it's got family movie vibes until there's a literal head explosion. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, like the the scene. I mean, even the even the scene when they drug the mother has like kind of like goofy, uh, like Close Encounters vibes. You know, what I mean? like you know, oh, it's so wacky. They gave her too many sleeping pills, and they think she's dead, but she's not. Like, there's still like a like a sheen of wholesomeness around that. Even the setup, right? Like the whole beginning of the movie feels like you're about to see like a teen comedy or a family comedy. Like there's going to be a fucking talking dog or some shit. You yeah. know what I'm saying? And then it becomes this horror movie. But, you know, this is Wes Craven, y'all. Like like on the realm of things he can do in a horror movie. Out, again, outside of the famous blowing up a head with a basketball thing, it's a pretty tame horror movie. It feels like... It could have been in some crazy person's mind marketed to kids. You know what I'm saying? Like, or at least teenagers. Well, to to be fair, I will give this movie credit for one thing in the way that the one believable, or I, I shouldn't say believable, I should say the one most, the most human character in this movie is Paul's mother. When Sam, Christy Swanson's character, comes over for dinner the mom kind of deduces that she's being abused by her father. And she's like trying to reach out to this girl. There's just this like believable moment where she's like, you you really need to talk to somebody about this because it's not going to stop. And it, it's like there, there's in a, in a movie that features a woman's head being exploded by a basketball and another person being brought back to life because they put... A, a fucking ROM board in her head. It's literally just a computer chip goes into her head, and now she's alive. Yeah, you're. I mean, the 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 opening the, the opening of this movie has all the the beats of like an '80s like family movie. Like, there's the friend with the troubled home life, and you know the single parent who whose partner got shot out of a cannon or whatever. I don't know how the dad dies. It it, it has all those. 
Spielbergian beats until it gets becomes a horror movie. And then even then, it's like most of the horror is kind of... I don't know if it failed at being able to do this or it just it shot too high or if it, it flew too close to the sun. I do think they tried to take some of the horror of the abusive aspect of her father, but I just don't think that they do it in a way that made it relatable at all because they make the father who is the idiot from Tremors who thinks he can escape a gravelwood by hiding on a tire, they make him too much of a, like a snidely whiplash supervillain. He's not believable. Like, I mean, yeah, he's unlikable, but when his daughter is dying, he's like, yeah, just pull the plug. Just, just, you know, it's like, I don't know. It it just, it it, it didn't, it, it didn't feel like it was really, it knew how to handle what it was trying to do with, using abuse as, as as a source of horror. Well, I again, I don't know that it's... This is the thing for me. I'm not sure that the abuse was... A, it, it feels like the movie isn't a horror movie until she comes back from the dead. That, like, yeah. even, the, even the darkness of her being an abuse victim, if you've watched enough uh, family drama or even family comedies from the 80s, there was often a, an attempt to be relevant. And an attempt to be relevant was often abuse or drug use. Because that's those were our fears about the kids. That the kids were either getting high or getting diddled. You know, that, yeah. that was the thing. To be fair, uh, we weren't necessarily wrong per se. There was a lot of abuse going on, but it had been going on for a long time. We just didn't put it in our movies. Uh, but, you know, in the 80s, this, this happened a good deal where there would be some dramatic note. And oftentimes it was as tone deaf as what happens in this movie, which just ne- it never knows what to do with it in the film. But what's weird is that then it's like, okay, we've hit all these kind of very familiar, uh, like, like uh, kid comedy tropes. Now let's bring her back from the dead and have her murder people. It's very strange. It feels like two different scripts smushed together in a way. And and honestly, I think the tonal the the painfulness of the tonal shifts, the way that it doesn't work for people is part of the popularity of the movie. That people who love this movie love that it's like two flavors that don't belong together. Yeah, it just Sometimes that can work. I, I think in well-done horror comedies it works. This just feels mishmashed and like it didn't know what it wanted to be, I guess. I, 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 I agree, but I found it uh, I found it more amusing than I thought I would. I really thought the whole movie was going to be bad and then the head smashed with the basketball and then that was it. And I didn't feel that way about it. But does it is it exciting the whole time? No. It's like a for me a a better than mediocre but not good enough movie. And I know that part of my amusement with it is trying to figure out why the movie is trying so hard to be this charming something else for the first like 40 minutes really of the film. Yeah. I don't know. And then at the very end um I, I thought they could have done something a little interesting with her maybe uh, becoming not such a fucking robot monster. And then that's what happens. And I'm still like, I didn't even really care that much when that happens. Fair. Because I just wasn't, I don't know, like, I I, I, I did think that, I, I do appreciate that this movie earnestly tried to portray her 
trying to save him in a shootout with the cops, I thought was hilarious because it's so over the top and so goddamn serious that I was like, I, I can't help but love that. Like the scene of Christy Swanson running in slow motion with her fucking eyes all wide is so goddamn ridiculous that I was like, I, I kind of like this because it's, it, it, it's so fucking serious and like, this is, this is drama. This is dramatic. She's she's regaining her her humanity, and I was like, yeah, but it's silly, and I love it. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I will say that you know, going back to the abuse angle, um, it's interesting what themes are always in Wes Craven things, and there's often unhealthy families and unhealthy religious communities are things that come up a lot in Wes Craven stuff, especially early on. And so it's interesting to see that here as well. That like part of what's at stake is her, I mean, in a sense, even though we're not told that the dad is um, a pedophile per se, the the idea of like, you're just like your mother, that always has a weird pedophile vibe to me. Am Absolutely, I, You yes. know, even if he's never acted on those feelings, to treat your daughter like you're jealous is always like, well, there's something fucking wrong with you, man. Like yeah. there's something really off. And so bringing that in, uh, you know, the idea that they're unhappy is pretty common. The angle that he takes in some of his abuse of her, like the, the way he treats her, felt like it was it was bordering on like Stephen King's side story sort of stuff. You know, it's it, it, it felt like uh, the Beverly Marsh and the um, Muschietti version of it, like her and her dad. Yes. Yes. You know, we're like we're in the in the source in the source material. He's just a fucking physically abusive prick. But in the movie, it's like he he is sexually abusing her. Like, that's what this felt like. Like, there's never... They never come out and say it, but the way he talks to her is like, oh, yeah, there's there's something not... Right, right. Not right. Like, there's an extra flavor of, of, of unholiness going on in there. Yeah. And then, you know, I love at the end of this movie when she becomes an actual robot. Like, I... I <laughs> Spoiler. Um, when he goes, because he hasn't learned, much as Lewis Creed did not learn in Pet Cemetery that you don't fucking bury things there, he goes back to try to revive her one more time. But this time, she comes back to life with the robot's head under her skin and robot bones. Brilliant. I just thought that was so like, fuck it. You know what? In for it a was, penny, in it, for a pound. It was so out of place that it, it, it feels hilarious. But yeah. like, like if there's a way to do that in a modern movie, that would actually be fucked up. Where you'd be like, oh, fuck. You know what I mean? Like yeah. if they establish it all like, well, the computer is a self-healing and it's doing the thing. And it nanobots. can nanobots. Yeah. It's got, it's got Tony Stark nanobites. Yeah. There's all this stuff. But the way they do it in this movie, you're like, is this a what the fuck is that supposed to be? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, like I, it's funny. Like, I, you know, I, obviously we've we've hit it on it a few times, but um I've seen the clip of the basketball to the head so many times. That's in my memory, right? But I, there were other parts of this movie that stuck with me that I could describe to you as like, oh, like when her dad's going down the basement and stuff like that. There was stuff they stuck out. That ending is somehow ups, not upsetting, confusing, and completely forgettable. Like I'm sure in a year, if you ask me, like, how does Deadly Friend end? I'm gonna be like, I don't know, something. I don't remember. Something happens. I don't fucking know. <laughs> I'm going to make a note a year from now to ask you how that movie ends. It's 
fucking. Anyways, I I don't know. I I for me, this is very much a. If I'm at a horathon and this comes on, this could be fun with a crowd to laugh at, whatever. But if you're looking for something that actually like is gonna tickle the old ivories, so to speak, this is definitely what? not it. Yeah, tickle the old. Isn't that what people say? Tickle the old ivories? No. Is that a Chicagoism that you picked up? <laughs> No, but it's you know it's not it's not scary. It's only kind of entertaining. Christy Swanson sucks in real life, so like whatever. Mm-hmm. And Ramsey, who plays Mama Fratelli, is dead, so that's a bummer. Not by basketball, though. No, no, I think she died uh, like peacefully, uh, as she deserved to die, surrounded by her two sons. <laughs> uh, she died in bed with the Fratelli brothers around her. I never liked the way she treated Sloth. Uh, yeah, weird. No, you're not supposed to. I don't know if you knew that. I don't know what you're referring to. <laughs> All right. So I think that's Deadly Friend. Um, yeah, I, I just, you know, you know, like I, like I said, this movie was fun. It made me, it, 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 because I'm a weirdo who thinks about shit too much, I, I, I got to thinking about, like, what right we have to bring people back, you know, when they die. Um, side note, uh, if you have Shudder and you haven't watched An Unquiet Grave yet, it kind of deals with similar themes, only much, much better and much more upsetting in a good way. But no, this, this movie's fine. Like, if this came out at Horathon, which is a dated reference at this point, I would watch it. If this was at, you know, Schlockfest at the Mahoning Drive-In, I'd watch it. So you could do worse. It's not Wes Craven's best movie, but it it it, it might be his worst movie. I just got to thinking about that. It might be his worst movie. Well, first of all, you've never seen any of his porn, so obviously... <laughs> How could you even say that? You haven't seen all the work. You know what I mean? True. Very true. Uh, secondly, um, I don't know. I need to rewatch it, but this might this and Deadly Blessing might be equally bad. Oh, did he do Deadly Blessing? Oh, yes. He he did two Deadly movies. Hence my... Where, this is part of my whole religious theme. You know what I mean? Like, for people who don't know, before Wes Craven started in his film career which was a mixture of porn and last house on the left yes, which is he was a minister. which is somehow more unsavory than porn he grew up in a very restrictive religious community um and those themes and now now I'll tell you guys I got nothing against porn. I haven't found the West Craven porns. I don't know if I want to watch the West Craven porns. Uh, I have a friend, though, who did a full watch of everything West Craven ever did. And he said that, uh, so unsurprisingly, even his porn work has themes of unhealthy families and religious communities in it. So uh, it just seems to be something that Wes was interested in. You know what I mean? Like, this is just a thing that comes up in his movies. I mean, you could even say the similarities between uh, the dad and deadly friend and the first iteration of of, uh, of uh, Freddy Krueger, I think there's resonances there. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's a certain sort of thing that he's interested in, and I think it comes across and stuff. Uh, yeah, fair enough. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening so much. Um, we appreciate it, as always. Head to cinepunks.com for more episodes of this podcast and many other podcasts, including but not limited to Liam's other Cinepunks. And is the flight stuff back? So we've made a commitment that when Marvel puts out new Alpha Flight stuff, we'll try to cover it just as like a fun way to get back together. I mean, just so people know, basically what happened with the flight stuff is uh, we got to a point where not everybody on the show was having fun. You know, like, like, cause at a certain point, you know, alpha flight gets kind of bad 
And we were just starting to do more and more episodes where we were talking about it being bad. And I'm kind of okay with that, but not everybody was stoked on it. So we, we, you know, stopped the show for a while just to see what we wanted to do. And now I think we are happy just coming back every once in a while and reading new Alpha Flight stuff. So there was a new, uh, there was a new arc called Heroes Reborn, and they had a version of Alpha Flight in that. So we talk about that on the new episode. And we've committed that sometime in the future, we're going to cover the six issue run of Gamma Flight, the new Alpha Flight adjacent uh, comic book, which, funny enough, do you know why it's called Gamma Flight, Justin? Uh, give me a second. Um, gamma, Gamma. What involves Gamma in the Marvel Universe? Um, is it about Emil Blomsky? Yes, exactly. No, it's it's a it's it's a Hulk comic, which kind of makes sense for Alpha Flight because Hulk did show up in Alpha Flight a bunch. Yeah, he but, beats the shit out of Sasquatch, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But is well, and also you could, you know, technically, I know we don't think of it this way. Wolverine is a founding member of Alpha. Yes, Flight. yes. So and there's as that. we all know, Hulk once famously ate Wolverine, and then Wolverine sure, yes. tore him apart. Yes, um, but what, what's funny enough, you know, part of the reason that Doug is on the flight stuff is because Alpha Flight is set in Canada, so he's like our Canada expert. Well, Gamma Flight has nothing to do with Canada. It's just it's just Puck from Alpha Flight, and then a bunch of people related to the Hulk. Now, granted, Sasquatch is there, but that's because, um, and you're going to think this is ridiculous, but it, it's what happened in the comic, uh, Doc Samson died and then got reincarnated in the dead body of Walter Langowski, uh, a.k.a. Sasquatch. I so now, I, I think now, I he's, that. now he's Doc Sasquatch and he's green <laughs> and it's fucking stupid, but I'm going to read it anyway. So when you say the relatives of, of Bruce Banner, you mean his shitty grandchildren from Old Man Logan. Oh God, no, I don't. I mean, just I just mean adjacent. You know, they're all. It's like the the team, the Gamma Flight team, is like Puck, the Absorbing Man, Creole yeah. dude, Doc Sasquatch, some other lady that I think is friends with Hulk. I don't fucking know, man. It's Rick weird. Jones is there for some reason. I know that'd be funny, actually. Anyway, anyway. So yeah, you can go to Cinepunks and check that out. Uh, head to patreon.com backslash Cinepunks to find out how to become a patron. Uh, check out our sponsors at Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations and Essex Coffee Roasters. Um, and you can follow us on the social medias at the Harbiz666 on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and until next time, always remember that... Um, oh, people are back to talking about Victor Salva and how we should watch this movie so he can get fucked by a Wookiee and kicked into a volcano. Okay, bye. Until next time, stay spooky. Bye! Do you scan the night sky in search of unidentified aerial phenomena? Do you lose sleep over strange projects funded by the CIA? Ever wonder which orifices ectoplasm comes out of? Come explore the unexplained and unexplainable with us on our podcast, Weird, Obscure, and Possibly Unsafe. We'll talk about telepomancy, haunted railroads, sentient umbrella spirits, mind-altering video games, remote viewing, Spongebob conspiracy theories, and only gets weirder from there. Each episode will share three stories about all the weird things they tell you not to believe. Weird, obscure, and possibly unsafe. Available anywhere you get your podcasts. Hey! Hey!